Hello and welcome back to another episode of the IVSA Livecast. Today I'm joined by Dither Prince, who works for the Farm Vet Academy. I would just like to say a big thank you to the members of the Liverpool Farm Animal Veterinary Society for contributing to the interview questions today. So to start off the episode, Dither, it would be great to know your story in becoming a vet, from when you first knew you wanted to be a vet and to your current career. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a farm animal vet. I've always been a farm animal vet. Um, I'm originally from the Netherlands, I'm Dutch, um, and I basically wanted to become a vet when I saw a, a guy in some green trousers walking into a field together with a farmer and they were doing something at the back end of a cow and all of a sudden there was a calf. And I was about five, six, seven years old, something like that. And, and I thought that was quite intriguing. So, and I wanted to do what that mandate. So that's why I wanted to become a vet. At that point, I didn't know that you could become a small animal vet or an equine vet or, or a farm vet. I thought the vet was a vet. Um, so, so yeah, I wanted to become a vet. Uh, and in Holland or in the Netherlands, you only have one vet school. Um, and a lot of people sign up for that vet school and not everybody gets in because it's not based on your, your grades. It's more a lottery system in the Netherlands. Uh, and of course, I had the wrong number. I wasn't allowed uh, into the lottery to get into vet school. Um, so I went to Belgium and uh, did my vet degree over there for six years. Um, and basically in Belgium, it is more that everybody is allowed to start the study. Uh, everybody with a certain high school degree is allowed to start the, the study. Um, but about 50% of the students uh, don't make it through vet school. Um, but luckily, I was one of them. So I became a vet after six years. Um, spent two of my years in, uh, in a dairy farm practice in the Netherlands. Uh, then went briefly to Canada. And then I came to uh, Scotland to work at the University of Glasgow as a resident. Uh, and I've stayed in the UK ever since as a farm vet. Um, I've been mainly in, uh, in, in clinical practice. Uh, but I'm now also doing quite a lot of uh, advanced breeding uh, techniques like OPU and IVF and cattle, uh, and that is currently my main main focus. Brilliant, thank you for that. So you said that um, it was it was the farmer and the vet in the field that sparked your interest to in becoming a vet. Um, lots of people come from different backgrounds when they apply to vet school. Do you think that having a farming background is necessary to become a farm vet? No, no, it, it will make life a little bit easier in your first months or in your first years when you just are a little bit more comfortable with either tying up a cow or approaching a cow or a calf or, or knowing how to, how to restrain a, a sheep or, 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 or a goat. It makes life a little bit easier and clients or especially farmers will pick up on that, especially if you can talk about certain genetics or breeding lines or know something about uh, plowing a field or, or, or certain crops that need to, that are growing certain times of year so it, it does make your your general first impression a little bit easier but to actually become or be a vet a clinician in the field i don't think you need a farm uh, a farming background uh, sometimes it's actually better not to have a farming background because sometimes it's very difficult for young vets that are um, that have a farming background to look at something from a farming perspective rather than from a, a veterinary perspective, um, especially when it comes to certain treatments or approaches to, to herd health management. So there's something to say for either having a background or not having a background in the farming industry, um, but I definitely would 
say that it, if you want to become a farm vet, it is more your attitude rather than your previous experiences that will get you there. That's great to know. Thank you. What sort of day one skills are you looking for for farm new grads to have? So that, that's, that is a difficult one because I come from a country and from a university where day one skills like cuttings and cesarean sections and um, abdominal surgery in cows is actually a day one, considered a day one skill. Um, over here, that is a little bit different. Um, a day one skill, you definitely need to know how to approach an animal, how to handle animals, how to look at farm data, how to look at animals, how to, how to do an, a proper clinical examination, not necessarily coming to a diagnosis or even to a treatment plan, but how to do a, a good clinical uh, examination to actually get you to the next step. Um, the next step can be something as simple as treatment, which you probably will know about, maybe you haven't done it, but that we will know about it. Um, and everything beyond that, you can always ring for advice or get a colleague in. Um, but the biggest day one competency is knowing your limits. Knowing when to basically know that this will be beyond your skills and capabilities and, and ring in or call for, for advice or help or whatever, and be able to communicate that to a farmer. A lot of farmers, 98% of the farmers don't mind if you can't do something straight away, but as long as you know where, where your limits are and where, where you need to uh, ask for advice or for help, uh, it's a very good thing to, to have. Know your own capabilities rather than actually knowing how to dehorn a calf or how to foot trim or, or whatever. I mean, that is, is, is all a benefit if you know that, but you, you come across such a big variety of clinical cases in your first couple of weeks and months that saying that you have to have a specific knowledge or skill is, is going to be a big ask. Um, but knowing how to kind of behave on a farm and how to communicate on a farm is probably much more important than actually having certain skills uh, or, or lacking certain skills. Um, it's a difficult one. It's, it's a difficult one, difficult one for me to answer because I come from a very different background uh, because of, of, of national or country differences. Um, but your, your, your approach and your attitude is much more important than having actually certain skills or, or, or certain knowledge, I, I would say. But other, farmers, um, farm, other farm practices might disagree and other vets might disagree, but it is all about your attitude, uh, your communication and, and knowing your limits and knowing what you're comfortable with. Um, you, you, can't, you can't be expected to, if you've done 10 disbuddings at your university or on EMS placements, is that a skill that you already have? Or you can probably do it, but after 100 maybe, or after 50, you're probably going to be completely confident in it. So it's, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one for me to answer, and, and especially because I've been qualified for 16 years, and I've been doing this for a long time. So my, I, would, I would love to see a recent graduate being able to do a carving or a C-section or a euthanizing a, a cow and be able to, or even euthanizing a horse or whatever, or a pet sheep and be able to communicate that to, to the owner. But I can't expect that of, 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 of recent graduated vets. Uh, that would be, because some, some, some students have been lucky with their EMS 
and will have all the clinical skills and competencies that, that you need. Some might, might not have been that lucky or COVID might have interfered with your, your skills. So attitude, um, communication, and knowing what you can do and can't do is much more important than saying, than ticking off a specific list of competencies. I think that's great advice, especially now with COVID. I'm sure lots of students are feeling really nervous about going straight, going into practice. And there's a lot of imposter syndrome about what they will be able to do because of the lack of EMS. So it's good to know that it's that like surgical and clinical skills won't be kind of highlighted when you're when you're out to practice. It is also the focus on your communication skills and how you work with your colleagues and your farmers. So that's really, really great advice. Thank you. Um, what do you think universities teach well to those interested in farm practice? And I guess, what do you think they don't teach well and what can, what can they work on? Yeah, let, let's first start with, with what they teach, teach well. And, and so I, th I think universities are, are really good in, in clinical thinking and clinical reasoning and, and thinking forward. And they're very good in one health approaches and, and herd health uh, uh, investigations and, and et cetera. Um, so the, the general knowledge of students is, is enormous, or in my opinion, is enormous. And even going and making connections between systems and diseases and, 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 and that kind of stuff and treatments. And it's, it's remarkable what, what, what you guys know and, and, and have learned at vet schools. Um, it is really of the highest level that you can, can imagine. And, and it sticks fairly well with you guys. You remember it. You're able to explain it. It's uh, it's in general. It's it's you should be very very pleased with the the theoretical knowledge, the reasoning uh, about, about, of diseases and treatments and, and, and approaches. It's it's of, of gen generally very very good. Um, so yeah. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. I mean. After five years, or no matter how long it takes you to become, become a vet, um, it, 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 that is not the end. The day that you know everything is probably going to be the day that you retire. Um, so it is going to be a learning curve. I've done this for 16 years. I got a certificate, I got a diploma, but every single day I see cases that I think, hmm, I'm not sure about this one. And it's that is going to be the case. So you should be, you have a very good basic knowledge or even beyond basic knowledge coming from coming out of vet school and it is it is really good to see what you guys know um, on on diseases uh, pathogenesis um, uh, production systems uh, it's uh, one health antimicrobial resistance and proven use of, 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 of treatment of, of drugs it's it's remarkable it's uh, and, you, and you should be proud of that, and you should you should consider that as a very solid base for the rest of your future, and especially for the rest for the next five years, let's say in, in clinical practice. So, but there's nothing nothing wrong in that perspective. But <laughs> I think, and I'm a little bit worried that the approach to the clinical aspects in vet schools is lacking and i i'm very worried that um it the emphasis on ems for your clinical skills is is very high it's difficult 
for EMS, especially because I come from, from a university where virtually all clinical teaching is done within the university. Um, basically, as an intern in your final year, you spend tremendous amounts of, of time within, within the farms, within the, the, the clinical departments. But over here, as long as EMS is not quality controlled, it's very difficult to give every single student the same opportunity to graduate with the same, with similar amount of skills, uh, clinical skills. If you pay 10,000 pounds per year for your, your vet degree, you expect that after five years, everybody has got the same level of clinical uh, knowledge and skills. But that is not always true. It really depends on your, how lucky you, lucky you have been in your EMS placements. Uh, so EMS needs to be quality controlled. Secondly, with EMS, you're basically learning from previous generations. And those previous generations have learned from even further previous generations. And I'm not so sure if that is appropriate. Um, if you sometimes come onto a practice and you see, let's say, this butter machine that is from the 70s, and they say this because we've always been using a system like this or, 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 or equipment like this, you just think, well, how, how can you progress or, or evolve if that is your thinking? So I think that practical teaching should be, they, I'm, I'm a little bit worried that you guys graduate with the knowledge and the skills that necessarily aren't very important for your first three years, four years, five years in practice. Uh, and that a lot of that skills actually need to be taught to you in those first years. And I think that when you actually start applying your, your knowledge from vet school, your health knowledge, your prudent use of antibiotics, your um, epidemiology, epidemiology knowledge, that normally starts to happen. You start to apply that after, after your first two, three, four, five years in practice. But I think that a lot of, a lot of times that some of you have already given up by that time because they have been so insecure about their clinical skills or, or didn't have the right experiences uh, because they, they might have, have um, not had very good clinical outcomes or they might have had PDS claims or, or farmers not very happy with their clinical skills. So I, I don't think you guys are particularly well prepared for your first two, three, four years in practice. Um, from a clinical point of view. And if that needs to be learned on the job in a practice that might be very busy or where there is very few additional vets capable of, of explaining and, and basically holding your hand because there's no time for it because it's so, it's so busy with TB testing, emergencies, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, I fear sometimes for, 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 for you, you, you young, young vets going into practice where, where they're there is maybe not so much uh, strategy for teaching and training on the job. So I, I, yeah, I think that we have to, we have to bear in mind what, what are you going to be doing for your first three, four, five years in practice and what are you not? And in your first two, three, four, five years in practice, the amount of hurt health that you're going to be doing is not that great. Um, because by the time you do hurt health uh, advisory or consultancy, um, the farmer needs to have confidence in you that you can do the job, um, basically anything of the job. So if, if you know a lot about herd health stuff, stuff and a lot about uh, One Health in your first year in practice, that is of no use to the farmer. 
Um, and, and you will be judged on your clinical skills in your first couple of years. And, and yeah, it, it, it worries me that, that clinical skills is, has become uh, a, a background um, topic in vet schools. And it is expected that EMS is, is, is compensating for that. And I don't think EMS is. That's really interesting. Thank you for that. But that is my personal opinion, of course. There of course, will be a, yeah. lot, a lot of academics and a lot of physicians at university that, that might have different opinions. Um, but yeah, I, I sometimes worry. But that, it's, it's good to have um, your opinion there um, so students know that kind of that's what people out in practice um, are thinking so that they know where to work on their, on their skills um, as, as a new grad. So no, that was really interesting. Thank you. Uh, do you see the role of the farm vet changing much in the future? Yeah, it's an interesting one because when I graduated 16 years ago, I, I was told that it's all going to be a herd health. You don't need to know much about individual health anymore um, because if it is if it's not economically feasible to do uh, uh, an apomasal displacement surgery, then the, the cow will just be going to slaughter and, and, and you just have to focus on, on improving the nutrition so that doesn't happen. So a lot of focus in my first couple of years was on knowing about preventative medicine and herd health and that kind of stuff. But now, 15, 16 years later, more than 50% of the daily work is still uh, clinical work like dehorning, TB testing, blood sampling, um, treating sick animals, individual animals. Um, so are, is our role going to, to change in the future? No, I don't think it's going to change that much. I think in, in Western Europe or, or Europe in general and the UK, the emotional and financial value of an animal is still high enough for farmers to actually invest in, in individual health uh, rather than looking at it from solely from a herd health point of view. So I think that, that we will need to know more about um, sensors uh, and capturing data analysis with sensors using data, data analysis to come to conclusions and, and give herd health uh, or, or farm advice. So it will become more, but I don't think that individual health will completely disappear. So I think that our job will, of our role will still be similar as what it is now and probably what it has been over the past five, 10 years, but that it might be certain shifts that we may be spending in the future even more time on data analysis and herd health advice uh, and that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that individual health will always be a big part of our, of our role, especially if in the future, because of trade deals or whatever, um, it, it become that farmers can't, let's say, inject anymore uh, with certain antibiotics, or if um, blood sampling can only be done by vets, or, or, or TB testing it can only be done by vets. So it depends a little bit on, on, on what the future is going to bring. But I think that our role will be very much what it is now, but it might be more focused on, on data analysis, herd health, um, using automatic uh, sensors uh, to capture data, and, and maybe a little bit less than, than less clinical individual uh, animal health or clinical individual uh, animal treatments. But that part will still always exist. It will never, I don't think it will ever disappear. As long as the individual and emotional um, value of an animal is there for the farmer. We will still will need still need to do uh, a cesarean section, uh, a surgical approach, uh, foot trimming, 
uh, and that kind of stuff. I don't think that it will that our role will be solely consultancy in the future. Okay, that's great. Thank you. What advice would you give to those currently or soon to be on the job job hunt who have had their practical experiences reduced by COVID cancelling placements? Don't don't worry about it at all. Um, I know it will put a lot of stress or anxiety uh, on you, um, but if we're looking at of a five-year degree uh, where you have to do, I don't know, 40 weeks of EMS, and you've maybe missed out on five or six weeks or even 10 weeks. I mean, a lot of your work that you're going to be doing in your first two, three years is actually learned on the job. Um, and it would have been nice if you, let's say, had, had a little bit of understanding on, on how to do uh, TB testing or how to do the this budding or how to do a cesarean section or whatever from let's say your, your final year of EMS, but if you've seen it twice or, if you, or, or not at all, it, it's not gonna make, make much difference to me in, in, in your first couple of years in practice. As long as you are capable of saying to the practice, hey guys, I am not very competent or very confident in doing a carving on my own or doing a CGI section on my own or seeing a late cow or something like that, that you have to just speak up with what you're confident in doing. Don't, don't expect the, the practice to know or your colleagues to know. Or some students are really, or some, some young vets are really capable of doing this budding, um, but maybe not um, a foot, uh, turning a foot. Whilst other young graduates are really capable of turning a foot, but maybe not really good, very uh, proficient in, in this budding. So it's, it's very difficult for a practice gauge what you can do and what you can't do. Um, so I wouldn't be too worried if you've missed out on five weeks of, of clinical experience uh, due to COVID or, or not, but just make sure that you are, that you know yourself what you can do and what you can't do and be able to communicate that to your, your colleagues uh, or to the practice manager or your line manager or whatever within your first, your first job. Just be clear. They know that we've all started our, our, our careers with having very limited knowledge and skills. So we all know what it is like. Um, but it's very difficult to find out from your colleague what they are actually capable or, or confident in doing. So I, I wouldn't be too worried about COVID. Um, it, it, if COVID is still there, restrictions are still going to be there in, in six months' time when you guys start your first job, yeah, you should be a little bit worried that it might be a little bit lonely. Uh, working from home mainly, um, but that is how it is. And we just have to deal with that when it comes. But from a, a skill point of view, a knowledge point of view, don't worry, you will learn the first two or three months in, in your first job are gonna be such a steep learning curve that those missing out on those five, six, seven weeks of, of, of EMS during the COVID period is, is, is gonna be negligible. But know, know what you're confident in, uh, know what your capabilities are, uh, and communicate with, with where you need help and, and, and advice. And, and know, know your limits, that's, that's the main thing. I think that's very, very reassuring advice um, to all students who are um, going to be graduating in the next six months or so. Um, and I think they also need to remember that everyone's in the same boat. Um, and I think it's often really hard to, to remember that because um, but that's that's the thing with COVID that everyone's in the same boat and hopefully yeah. everyone will be going in um, 
going in with new jobs with new jobs kind of feeling the same way and there'll be constant reassurance by everyone which I think is great what do you look for on a new grad CV yeah I'm I'm an odd one there um, <laughs> because I would rather that you don't send me a CV uh, but spend a couple of days with me in the car going on farm or even do I'm coming in the car with you uh, and you do the work and I see how you do it. It's, it's a CV can get you biased um, and, 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 and having thoughts of your capabilities that might not be there. All, all that is important to me is, are you able to fit into a team? Are you able to work for your colleagues when it's necessary? Because sometimes you have to help out to help or, or sometimes you have to prioritize um, certain aspects of your, your, your work to be able to get the team finished on time uh, rather than it solely being you finishing on time. Um, so are you able to fit in a team? Are you able to work with the team? Um, and are you able to be able to communicate with your clients in a fairly normal manner? Um, are you able to talk about the weather if that is a topic? Are you able to talk about um, rugby or football? Or Even if, if you can't talk about it, are you able to, to have a conversation with a client about something that is maybe completely not related with veterinary, the veterinary world whatsoever? Um, farmers and clients in general just want to know if you are a normal, a normal regular person rather than a, a specialist or a consultant or a vet or whatever. Just be able to communicate, be able to be a team player, but also be able to be an individual player because after all, a farm vet is often being alone in the car, alone on farm, making a decision with your client. So it's, it's a little bit of both, um, but I would rather not have a CV listing all your skills or, or non-skills or your previous experiences or, or whatsoever. Um, it, it, I'm more interested in you as a person and how that person can act within the group and with the clients rather than a CV. I, yeah, I am, I am not very fond of CVs. Um, <laughs> but if you, if you do write a CV, and of course you have to for the majority of jobs, get some help. Make sure that it that if you've never written a CV before, that you do it right, because if that is the only entry into for for a, uh, a a future practice or let's say a future boss to get an insight in you, into your personalities and skills, that is your 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 business card, isn't it? So get help either from your your parents or from from uh, professionals or from online advice. Uh, or from even a chat like this, but make sure that that is, if, if it is solely going to, if your, your hiring is almost solely going to be based on your CV, you only have one chance for a first impression. So make sure that, that your CV is, is, is being analyzed by some other people that have more knowledge about writing a CV than, than us. <laughs> Yeah, I guess your CV is essentially the blurb to how you're going yeah. to what what you're going to be and how you work and um, and you want to make it as as 
kind of brilliant as possible to really showcase yeah. who you are. So yeah. Also make sure that if you write the CV that is very serious and your, your future boss is gonna have a look on Facebook and it does look like you've been a party animal during during vet school, it <laughs> might, might a lot of, a lot of um, confirmation of your CV is done the, by analyzing your social social media profile. So make sure that, that your social media profile is not in complete contrast of, of your CV. So be a little bit aware that your your digital footprint is 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 quite happily analyzed uh, in, in the majority of practices, uh, especially to see if you can fit into a team. Um, so, so be a little bit aware of it that if you have a happy social media uh, presence or, 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 or uh, following, then make sure it is a little bit appropriate for, for the profession and for the job that we're going to be doing. That's a really interesting point to make. Thank you. What do you think are the biggest challenges that a new farm graduate faces and how would you recommend that they overcome them? I am very worried that they just plod on on their own. That they think that we've graduated, we should know it all, clients are expecting us to know it all and do it all, and they just try to bear it and grin it. And that never works out terribly well. Um, and then after two or three years or four years, you got you got a lot of young vets leaving the profession or being disillusioned or 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 or, or even worse. Um, this is by far the best profession that you can encounter, or at least for me, it it, it, it was and it has been and it still is. Um, and a lot of vets that I know have experienced it like me but you have to know what what is doable and what is not doable um, and again know your limits know to ask for help know to identify what you are happy in doing and, and where you do see your future and, and it is not a very glamorous job and I mean we're basically sticking our hands up up the backside of a cow and we walk in wellies through a lot of a lot of dung all the time so and it can be in the middle of the night in a rainy field where you try to put a prolapse in it is it is um, not as glamorous as, as maybe what you think it is going to be and even doing herd health investigations it's not always possible if the farm doesn't have the finances to do what you want to do with the farm or what you have been taught at vet school to do in certain situations. A lot of it is a lot, there's a lot of compromising going on. Um, and it, that, that does mean sometimes that the gold standard is, is by far not reachable. Uh, and you have to be comfortable with that. I mean, if I'm in charge, I will make sure that every single thing, aspect of my life is the gold standard. But as a vet, you're providing a service on demand. And that, that service needs to be paid for, that needs to be doable, uh, and it needs to be fit in, fitting in with the, the farm management or with the farmer. So that does mean that I am not in control all the time. I can advise and I can recommend. Um, and I can, of course, from, from an authority point of view, I can, I can make certain decisions from, by be, being a vet when it comes to animal welfare or whatever. But a lot of situations, I am not the sole decision maker. Um, so I have to be comfortable with uh, letting go of the gold standard or, or 
letting go and of being able to compromise. Um, so, um, yeah, so don't, don't set your expectations of your first couple of years in practice too high. Um, know your limits, know yourself um, and enjoy it because it is, it is by far the best profession there is. Um, and it is very broad and you can do whatever you want basically if you want to go in solely clinical work or become a clinical teacher or do a PhD in pharma animal or go the epidemiology route or uh, it's it's such there's such a variety that there will be something that will fit you um, but most of us will end up in clinical work um, and and yeah be prepared for for a, a demanding job but a very rewarding job um, but but yeah, do know where when to seek help uh, and where to seek help, and just and try to enjoy it because it's as I said, the day that you retire, you'll probably be the best best bet in the world. But up till then, it's it's a lot of compromising. It is a lot of uncertainty. Uh, there's a lot of stuff unknown uh, in the farm world. Um, despite all the all the research that is out there um yeah it's it's um it's yeah you're not alone and we're all there um we all have cases where we don't know what is going on um if the farmer doesn't want to pay for further future diagnostics further diagnostics you literally only have your thermometer your rectal glass your stethoscope and that is what you have to do it with um so so yeah it's um it's challenging and, and it's 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 uh, it's it's good and it's enjoyable and you've got a very solid basis from vet school um, and from there on you have to know where where what is the limit where do I need to ask for help where do I need to ask uh, for future further CPD um, but yeah it's 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 going to be a, a hell of a roller coaster but it's very thoroughly enjoyable. Excellent advice there. Thank you so much. Is there a lot of competition in farm animal practice? Is it difficult to find jobs? It depends a little bit on what you want. I mean, if you want to go into a clinical job, if it takes you longer than three months to find a job, I would be a little bit surprised because there's such a huge demand for, for, for us farm animal vets. Um, because farm animal vets also work, uh, can potentially work in abattoirs or STD testers or, or um, they can work for export certifications. Um, so there is such a variety of jobs that if you if you are in need of money and you need a job, there will always be a job. If you are looking for having a job in a certain area of the country, it might be a little bit more difficult. Um, if you are, uh, but if you want to become a farm animal clinician in a practice, regardless of where you want to work, it, it will be very easily doable. Um, there is a huge demand for, for farm animal uh, vets uh, because after all, we are part of the, uh, of the food safety chain, of the food production chain. Um, so wherever you go into the world, there will be an enormous demand for farm animal uh, practitioners. Um, if you want to go into an internship or a residency, um, well, first, most likely an internship, yeah, the competition might be a little bit more stiff, um, might be a little bit more difficult. Uh, because there's also a lot of interest from that from, from other countries out, outside the UK, uh, because not, not every country has got internship or residency program. So uh, if you, I don't know, living in some country in, in Europe where they don't have an internship or a residency program, then you have to look 
for that in other countries. So there will be, in that respect, competition from other countries if you want to specifically do that. Um, so yeah, it depends completely on what you want. But if it is solely a farm animal job in, in practice, uh, it's, there's an enormous demand. Brilliant, thank you. So you've specialized in cattle health and production. Do you think that there are more opportunities to work once you're specialized? Yeah, so, so there's a couple of things. So you can specialize in, a, in, in, a, in okay, you can specialize in, in sheep or in cattle uh, whilst you're in practice um, and basically do a little bit more cattle work or a little bit more sheep work or even a little bit more equine work or whatever. Um, but I'm also a, a specialist. So I've actually chosen to do further education solely uh, in cattle health and production. Uh, and, and so I basically specialize I do my main my main focus is on, on cattle and I specialize in, in bovines, but I'm also a specialist in bovines. So so even if you're not a specialist, you can still specialize in, in doing cattle. Um, but I'm I'm actually a specialist as well. So there's a little bit of, of a difference. You can be in general practice, but prefer to work with cattle, and then you specialize kind of in cattle. Uh, but you can't call yourself a specialist. Um, so you have to do further education for that. So. So yeah, I specialize in cattle, but I assume that you are trying to find out if being a specialist is actually more beneficial. Yeah, it depends a little bit what you want. If you want to be in practice, uh, a vet with with five, 10 years experience um, is probably, well, let's say with 10 years experience is probably just as much a specialist uh, or, or specializing as much as I am. So in practice, having a specialist title is not a necessity or or even opening up more doors or even, it's not like in small animal where if you're a specialist in epidemiology or a specialist in dermatology, you just see skin cases, sophisticated skin, skin cases, or if you're a specialist in orthopedic surgery, you just see very sophisticated uh, orthopedic surgery cases. So that's not really what, what, as a specialist in practice, you still do this budding, you still do deboarding, you still do the prolapse, the calving, all that kind of stuff, but you do know a little bit more about herd health farm advisory uh, and, and a little bit of teaching and training as well. So if you want to go into academia, then being a specialist is definitely beneficial. Although having a PhD is even probably more beneficial to go into academia. If you want to work for a consultancy company or for a pharmaceutical company, it's probably beneficial. Is it necessary? Not entirely. Um, however, what, what doing a residency or becoming a specialist does is it creates an enormous um, professional network, uh, which you might not always encounter if you're in clinical practice or if you're solely working in pharmaceutical world or, or whatever. So, so being a specialist, yeah, your, your professional network is, is really, really large. Uh, and that of course brings a lot of opportunities um, beyond just being uh, uh, working in a particular area or, or a particular job. So is it beneficial for being in practice? No, not really. Is it beneficial for being in the pharmaceutical world? No, not really. Is it beneficial for being uh, in world? No, not really. If you really want to be in those areas, you can probably do it without being a specialist. It might be a little bit easier, um, but the amount of opportunities that come with doing a residency or being a specialist is higher because your, your, your professional network is higher. But if you don't have it, it doesn't make me any, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it makes me a better uh, vet or a 
a better clinician or a better epidemiologist. It, it's 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 um it is it is I I I like it being one because I like I uh, yeah I, I I use it I, I use it a lot in practice and in, in any other area being being a specialist my knowledge and my, my skills so I, I use it a lot but is it particularly necessary no I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so not for the job that I, I currently do uh, but it creates a lot of opportunities. Brilliant. Thank you. What a fantastic end um, to this episode today. So thank you so much, Dither, for taking the time to be interviewed for today's episode. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you very much. Dither. I hope everybody enjoys it. Thank you. I'd like to say a big thank you to you for listening and for all your support. Don't forget to check out the IVSA Liverpool Facebook page for updates on new episodes and feel free to drop us a question if you have any. If you are enjoying the IVSA Livecast, please subscribe and share with all your friends. Thank you.